The subconscious mind is an amazing thing. The subconscious mind is the root system from which your thoughts and paradigms flow out of. Though you don't regularly access your subconscious mind, your subconscious mind is why you think the way you think. The subconscious mind is a lot harder to change than the conscious mind, which can have multiplied millions of thoughts per day and change uh, more quickly than the weather. The subconscious mind is rather more difficult to impact and to shape, but can be. And psychologists have suggested four primary things that impact the subconscious mind. What you see through the visual cortex, your brain records images. And some of those images and the things you see gets captured in your subconscious mind. Then what you think about regularly forms and shapes your subconscious mind. What you hear regularly forms and shapes your subconscious mind. But most importantly, the most important factor that shapes your subconscious mind is the things you hear yourself say out loud. As a believer who lives in a fallen world susceptible to fallen flesh and fallen humanity and all kind of the deplorable things we can get ourselves into. It is so important that you affirm regularly and speak out of your mouth this fundamental biblical truth. You must regularly say, I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You will never grow or mature spiritually to the point that you will not need this truth. I am the righteousness of God by my faith in Jesus Christ. You are not righteous before a holy God because of your performance or because of your obedience or because of how good you've been doing lately. Your faith in the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you has made you righteous in the eyes of a holy God. And we who believe have been made all right all righteous in right standing position from God's perspective because of what Jesus has done. But as the professor was telling you earlier this morning, our challenge is, begin to, is to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us because of Jesus. So if you don't mind, say it out loud with me. I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus. Now, that's easy to say when you're in church, and it's easy to say when you've been doing really good lately. But even on your worst day, when you just totally blow it, when you feel dead on the inside and dry spiritually, even then, it's so important for you to get up and say, I'm still the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Because listen, you don't need faith to live by performance or live by works. You need faith to live by grace. And the enemy will constantly be bombarding your mind concerning what you believe, telling you that you're no good, bringing up past events, bringing up struggles and issues in your life, trying to convince you that you're not really living it and you're not really good and you're not really saved and you're not really accepted. But 
regardless of what the enemy says and regardless of what people have said, the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross was so powerful that anybody that believes the gospel, anybody that believes in the blood of Jesus, anybody that has confidence that Jesus is who the scripture says he is, that person can stand before God with a rap sheet a mile long. All kind of issues, all kind of problems, all kind of sins, all kind of mess, and God will still look at them and say, you are the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So the challenge to the believer becomes we must have more faith in what Jesus has done for us than what we have done for ourselves. I'm going to say it again. We must have more confidence, more boldness in what Jesus has done for us than what we have done for ourselves. Look at the book of Exodus chapter 20, verse 21. Exodus chapter 20, verse 21. This is right after the Ten Commandments were given and the law was given. God told the people in the Old Testament, if you want to know my law, if you want to know how to live according to my principles, if you want to be obedient to it, I'm going to give you a law to follow. It was the Ten Commandments, and then the rest of the law contains about 429, 439 commandments and statutes total in the Old Testament. So as God is giving this law for them to follow, verse 21 says, The people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver, or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourself. In other words, don't make any idols. If you want to make something, verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings. Watch this and your peace offerings. Why? Because when you violate God's law and sin comes into the equation, the sin of humanity declares war with God. So that was the whole problem to begin with. God and humanity were at war with each other by nature, not necessarily God being mean and wanting to punish people, that wasn't it at all. It's that God's nature is holy and his presence is holy. And he cannot cohabitate with sin because it's counter to his nature. So sin put us at odds and at war with God. So he said, when you bring your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, every place where I record my name, I will come to you. When you make the sacrifice on the altar, I will come to you. Then he says something strange, and I will bless you. Now, God has just given a law, but then he makes a way that people could be forgiven and blessed when they break the law that he gave them. God said, when you bring an animal sacrifice, even though you're guilty and even though you're sinful, if you will bring an animal sacrifice to the altar, when I see the blood of that innocent animal, I will take your sin and your mistakes and I'll subscribe it to the life of that animal that is now dead and the proof of its death is its blood. 
and I'll take the innocence and the purity that was on the animal and apply it to you. And not only will that sign a peace treaty. Look at the three things that happen. He said, number one, I'll sign a peace treaty. I won't have aught or war against you anymore because of your sin. When there's blood on the altar from a peace offering, from a sacrifice, I'll make a peace treaty with you. Number two, I'll forgive you of it as if it never happened. When I see the blood on that altar, it's as if you never sinned. Number three, not only will I give you peace because of the blood, and not only will I forgive you because of the blood, look at that last line there, and I will bless you. So at the mercy seat in the Old Testament sacrifice system, when the blood hit that mercy seat at the altar, three things flowed. Peace, forgiveness, and blessing. Everybody say it with me. Peace, forgiveness, and blessing. Now this entire Old Testament system was just a shadow. Paul called it a teaching tool to lead us to understanding about what Jesus Christ would do for us. Because Jesus Christ removed the need for us to bring animal sacrifices. Jesus Christ removed the need for us to bring blood and peace offerings because the blood he shed on Calvary's cross became the offering made to God once for all. And the same three things flow to believers today that flow to Old Testament believers back in the old days when they would bring a sacrifice. The same three things, peace forgiveness, and blessing. Now turn to Micah chapter 6, verse 5. God is speaking here through the prophet, and he says, oh, my people. Anytime you see an oh in front of a, in front of a sentence, it's communicating that the sentence or the statement was made with emotion and with passion. He's saying, oh, my people, remember now. Look at somebody say, God wants us to remember something. Now look at this commandment. He says, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Baor, answered him from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal. I want you to remember it that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. In other words, there's something about the righteousness of the Lord that you cannot know unless you remember the story of Balaam and Balak. This is not just a good story. It's not just good preaching material. The scripture here in Micah commands believers, if you qualify, if you're the people of God, he said, oh, my people, you are commanded to remember and to meditate on this story. That's why I preach it at least once a year. Go to Numbers chapter 22, verse 4. It says, so Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. What, what he's talking about there is the children of Israel have exited Egypt. They've entered into their promised land after 40 years of wandering. And they're walking through their promised land a million and a half people strong. 
So all of the governments and all of the regional leaders of those areas are looking at this huge group of people walking through their land, and they're all saying they're stronger than us. They have more numbers than we do. Every rival king felt threatened as he saw the people of God moving through the land. Verse 5, so we sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Behor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the lands of the sons of his people, to call him saying, look, a people has come from Egypt and see, they cover the face of the earth and they are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once and curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. And perhaps I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of land for I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. So, you know, King Balak has employed a backslidden prophet named Balaam. And I say he was a backslidden prophet. I, I didn't say that he was a backslidden man that used to be a prophet. I said he was a backslidden prophet because there's this inconvenient truth in the scripture that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Meaning if you started off with God and God gave you a gift to be a prophet, and then you lost your ever-loving mind and you stopped living for the Lord, finds you 30 years later, you're still going to be a prophet because when God gives a gift, he doesn't take it back. So Balaam had been living like a heathen, selling his prophetic gift to people, you know, fortune teller, psychic, that kind of thing. And he was able to do it and make money because he was a prophet and God had given him the gift. He wasn't a saved prophet. He wasn't a prophet doing the right thing, but he was a prophet nonetheless. And evidently he was a powerful prophet because if he spoke a word of blessing over your life, it came to pass. If he spoke a word of cursing over your life, it came to pass. So Balak hired him and said, I need you to come up and curse these people. Look at verse 12. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Look what God said about those people. They are blessed. When I got to this verse in my study, God said to pause here and to look out over the people in the congregation and to tell you that same thing. You are blessed. You may not realize it. You may not feel like it. But the reality is today, my brothers and sisters, you are blessed. You're some of the most blessed people on the face of this earth. In fact, many times you need somebody else to point out how blessed you are. Because as you go through life with all of the challenges and all of the disappointments and all of the fatigue and stress and strain, sometimes you forget just how blessed you are. But I want to remind you with this little interlude in my teaching, you are blessed people. Look at you with your good looking self, breathing in and out with no oxygen tank sitting next to you. Look at you standing on those feet that are strong enough to hold you up and move you around wherever you want to go look at you with your car keys sitting beside you can get in that vehicle and go wherever you want to go look at you with your smiling face and all your teeth look at you in your beautiful hair look at how blessed shout I am blessed 
God said, don't you go down there and curse those people. They're blessed. Shout it again. I am blessed. Verse 15. So when God told him, he said, don't you go. He said, don't you go curse those people. Those people are blessed. So uh, Balaam sent word to King Balak. He said, I, I can't go curse those people. So verse 15, then Balak again sent princes more numerous and honorable than the first ones he sent. And they came to Balaam and, and they said, uh, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and will do whatever you say to me. In other words, name your price to come curse these people. And so uh, look down at verse 21. So Balaam rose in the morning. Evidently, he had a price. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. What did God tell him to do? Don't go with them. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then, verse 22, God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. In my ancient commentary, the one I had to wait on a waiting list to buy, my ancient commentary says this angel was Michael, the warring angel, coming to execute judgment from the direct disobedience that Balaam had committed against the Lord. So an angel took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. So Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now, verse 23, this is amazing. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. Now Balaam didn't see it. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Get back on that road, crazy donkey. Then, verse 24, the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord stood and went further into the narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she just laid down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now this next verse is why I love the Bible. Because it's not just normal, natural stuff. God makes supernatural stuff happen. Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth 
<laughs> of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you? That you have struck me these three times. Next verse. And if that wasn't crazy enough, verse 29, and Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me and I wish there was a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. Their conversation continues. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey? on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? In other words, have I ever done anything like this to you before? I love that. I love that the scripture just, I, I, how many of you have a dog, you know? I ain't gonna bring up cats. I don't wanna talk to you about cats. If you have a dog, if you're intuitive enough with your dog, like sometimes you, your dog shows personality, shows feeling, emotion, joy, happiness, sadness, you know, all this kind of stuff. And sometimes if you have a smart dog, a real good dog, sometimes it's almost like they're trying to tell you something. Wouldn't it be crazy like to see God just open the mouth of this animal and the animal was able to express in human vernacular and dialect what the animal was feeling? And this donkey says, why are you hitting me like this? I tell you what, I'd have turned around. I'd have repented. I'd have given my life completely and wholly to the Lord. I'd have gone back home, started a fast, and started just loving people and teaching people and doing whatever Jesus said to do. If my dog started talking to me and I started talking back to my dog, something would have changed in my life. Verse 31, the word opened Balaam's eyes. Notice that God's had to open two things. He opened the donkey's mouth and he opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And finally he got right. He bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you strunk your donkey these three times? Let me just, just throw this in here. The scripture commands, it's one of the commandments in the scripture to treat your animals with kindness and not cruelty. Okay? It is a commandment from God. If you're one of those people that abuse dogs and kick them across the room and all this kind of stuff and don't feel bad about it because it's not a human, it's a dog... That dog is a creation of God Almighty. It's a living thing with blood in it that God created. And all life is important and matters to God. So before the angel gets on him about doing what God said not to do, the first thing the angel jacks him up about is, why are you beating this donkey? Why have you struck your donkey? 
Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. And the donkey saw me and turned aside these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angels of the Lord, I've sinned. I didn't know you stood in the way against me. Therefore, if it displeases you the way I'm going, I'll turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with him now. But only the word that I speak to you, that shall you speak. Now notice God changing his mind there. First God said, don't go. Then when Balaam disobeys and goes anyway, God said, okay, go ahead and go. I'm going to show you something. Now, you know the story. I've shared it many times. King Balak gives Balaam the gold and the silver, and he goes up on three different mountains where he can view the people. And he stretches himself. When I say stretches himself, he's engaging himself spiritually and prophetically to speak a curse out against them. But every time he tries to curse the people, God fills his mouth with a blessing. Look at Numbers 23, verse 8. While he's stretching himself to try to curse them, God fills his mouth with these words. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Now look at verse 11. Then Balak the king said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I hired you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. And uh, now look at verse 19. This is, the, this is the last time he's trying to curse them. And while he's, he's about to speak, God makes him say this. It's beautiful. Balaam said, God is not a man. <laughs> oh, Hallelujah. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Many people allow religion to talk them into being cursed. What they don't realize is God's not a man that he can lie. And if God has ever blessed you one time, then you are blessed forever and it cannot be reversed. The day you were born again in Jesus Christ, the day you had faith that Jesus is who the gospel says he is, the day you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, from that day until now, you have been blessed, and in the eyes of God, nothing on this earth has the power to reverse it. Look at that again, verse, verse 20. 
He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. God said to tell you that's what the demons say every time they try to bring that generational curse from your family and make it stick in your life now. Those demons, when they visit your life or visit your house or visit your children and try to apply that curse, they have to confess the same thing that Balaam had to say. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. When you come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ by faith, the blood of Jesus is a curse breaker. And not only does it break curses from the past, it prevents curses from sticking on you in the future. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. It's so delivering. It's so freeing. It's so magnificent that there were things that were scheduled to come upon your future that had to back up and take its hands off of your future because of the force of the blood of Jesus applied to your life by faith because you have been blessed and it cannot be reversed. Shake somebody by the hand, smile at them, and say, I'm blessed and it cannot be reversed. I'm blessed and it cannot be reversed. Derek, I'm blessed and it cannot be reversed. Oh, I want somebody wild. Where my wild people at that don't mind showing the whites of your eyes? I'm blessed and it cannot be. Oh, tell every devil, tell every hex, tell every witch, tell every soothsayer. I'm blessed and it cannot be. Tell all of my fear, tell my insecurity, tell my stress, tell my condition, tell all my problems. I'm blessed and it cannot be. Where's the blessed people at? Jesus now the blessing of God does not guarantee a trouble-free life I said the blessing of God does not guarantee a trouble-free life what it does guarantee however is no matter how much trouble comes against you no matter what breaks out in your finances or your health or in your life or in your family no matter what weapons are formed against you the blessing of god guarantees that when it is all over somehow and some way you will still be standing at the end of it The blessing of God is a guarantee that no matter what you're going through right now, I promise you you're going to survive it. No matter how bad it hurts right now, I promise you you're going to make it. No matter what they're saying they're going to take from you, I promise you'll come back stronger. No matter what the devil's been whispering to you, I promise it's a lie. How do I know? Because the blessing of God is on your life and the blessing cannot be. Shout, I'm blessed. And the blessing is working on your behalf right now. It's going before you, making crooked places straight. It's ordering your steps into the right rooms to meet the right people in the right places at the right time. It's clearing the path for you before you even get there. 
and the blessing is busy yeah i like it the blessing is busy this frenetic power from god that's hovering over your life it's busy and not only is it busy working on you the blessing is busy working on your children the blessing is busy protecting your children the blessing is busy setting things up for them the blessing is busy ordering their steps the blessing is busy it's an active thing it's the blessing of god One more time, say it so your subconscious can hear it. I'm blessed and it cannot be reversed. Now, some of you feel cursed. I just, I don't know, maybe you've ever felt like that. Maybe you've gone through a, a season in your life, you know. The cars broke down. The refrigerator motor went out. AC ain't working. Get a pink slip at the job. All hell breaks loose in your relationships. And it's just one thing after another. And you come in and you sit down and you just wonder, why can't I catch a break? Like, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? That all of this stuff is happening. And if you're not careful, the enemy will try to talk you into accepting a defeated mentality deep into your subconscious. Because what we don't think about is when we go through trouble. Maybe, you, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not like me. But when I go through trouble, I have a tendency of talking to myself. That's the most dangerous thing you can do when you're having bad times is talk to yourself about all the mess and all the fear and all the stress and what you feel is happening because you're rooting down deep in your subconscious a mindset of failure and disappointment and you're not expecting things to get better. And God told me to come in here and tell 20 people that have stopped expecting to see better. You're just expecting to survive. You're just expecting to try to make it through the hell you're going through now. You're not expecting to see better. God said he's about to shock you with what he's going to do in your life. He's about to bless you from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet just to show you he is still a rewarder of them that diligently seek his faith. The blessing is coming to your life. You're blessed and it cannot be reversed. And what we don't realize during crisis, we don't realize that in the crisis, we're still blessed. Don't you realize Joseph was blessed in the pit? Because it was the blessing that got him out of the pit. Then he was blessed in Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife lied on him. Then he was blessed in the prison. No matter what stage he went through, the blessing went through it with him. It was constantly over his head, working for his favor, making sure things would turn out all right. Daniel was blessed in the lion's den. I don't know what you imagine when you imagine a place of blessing. But to me, I may not be able to tell you what it is. I can tell you what it's not. It's me in a pit with hungry lions. 
That's what it's not. But Daniel was blessed in the lion's den. Because no matter what he went into, the blessing went into it with him. The three Hebrew boys were blessed when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? Because the blessing went into it with them. So if you're heading into some ugly stuff next week, if you're walking towards some things that's making you cry and making you fear and making you dread the next couple of days, I want to tell you to get your head up, square your shoulders, and walk into that thing knowing that whatever you go into, the blessing is going into it with you. Shout, I'm blessed. Give God praise right there. Give God praise right there. Give God praise right there. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to give it. He didn't have to release it. But he blessed us. Thank you for the blessing. If it wasn't for the blessing, we wouldn't be here this morning. If it wasn't for the blessing, we wouldn't have survived all the pain. If it wasn't for... I'm going through hell. How do I know I'm blessed? You're still here, ain't you? There's a whole lot of people went through what you went through and lost their ever-loving mind. There's a whole lot of people went through what you went through and they're dead in the grave this morning. But in spite of everything that's come against you, it's all failed because you are still here, still strong, still have enough together to raise your hands and give God a praise. You're blessed! Walking through cancer, but you're blessed. Struggling in your finances, but you are blessed. Going through hell in your family, but you are blessed. And it's the blessing that was on you before you ever went in those things. And it's the blessing that's going to take you by the hand and lead you right out of every single one of them. Those who are in the middle of affliction, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of stress, in the middle of pain, listen to the word of the Lord. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivers them out of them all. And I hate to tell you this, but if you're stuck on what you're going through right now, I hate to tell you this. All of your life as a believer you'll have something that he's leading you out of. You have something that he's leading you out of because God will not grant to you a life that makes him meaningless. God will not grant you a position of life to where you don't need to call on his name and lean on the everlasting arms. He said, uh, Balaam said, he, he has blessed and uh, I know you paid me a lot of money, 
But here's the thing. I can't reverse it. I can't do nothing about it. Once he spoke it, hallelujah, that settled the issue. Those people down there, blessed. Why? Well, he gives the reason, verse 21. The reason they're blessed is God hadn't observed any iniquity in Jacob. When he says in Jacob, he's talking about Jacob's descendants, the people that he's staring at, the children of Jacob, children of Israel. He was, Jacob was Israel. He said, God has not observed any iniquity. The reason I can't curse these people is they're perfect. Well, that's true in life. You know, they can't, they, well, they can't legally arrest you if you've not committed a crime. In a, in a perfect world, in a perfect justice system, they can't legally arrest you if you haven't committed a crime. Same thing here. He said, I can't arrest them with a curse. God hadn't seen any iniquity. Leading us to the conclusion that if God had seen iniquity, even though Balaam was a backslidden prophet, he would have been able to curse him. But can't curse him. Problem is there's no iniquity. He hasn't observed any iniquity, nor has he seen any wickedness in Israel. The Lord is God is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. Now, if you're a semi-serious Bible student, you've got a few problems with that verse. You hadn't observed any iniquity in Jacob? These same people who, when Moses went up the mountain to get the law, took all their clothes off, got naked, started dancing around a golden calf, and they was dancing close together, you know. No iniquity? You mean the same people that murmured and complained that God brought them out to the wilderness to kill them and said he wasn't a good God or a good father and began to shake their fist against heaven to the point that God sent snakes and cockatrice through the camp to bite them because he was so angry? You mean those people? You ain't observed no iniquity in those people? Commentators say in one season of Israel, they had 40 stonings a month because there were so many people disobeying the law. You mean there ain't no iniquity in Israel? You mean there ain't no wickedness? In what are you talking about? The thing is, God had told them, if you mess up, if you blow it, if you make an error, if you make a mistake, if you sin, if you do wrong, if you'll make sure that there's blood on that mercy seat on the day of atonement, when I see that blood, I will choose not to view your sin, and I will see you as innocent, spotless, perfect, 
before my eyes. So these people were tore up from the floor up. They were messed up. They were wicked. They had iniquity. They had sin, but they had confidence in the blood that was on the mercy seat. And because of their faith and confidence in the blood, God said, you can't curse them because in my eyes, they're perfect, spotless, beautiful. What about my past? Perfect, spotless, beautiful. What about all the issues I'm still struggling with? Perfect, spotless, beautiful. What? Because you have faith in the blood of Jesus. And that faith gives three things from heaven to earth, from God to you, peace. The war between you and God is over. A peace treaty has been signed in the blood of Jesus, the righteous. The war is over. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Number two forgiveness in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace and blessing blessed be God father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us Balaam said I I want to I can't do nothing with them they are blessed and I cannot reverse it. So, hold on one second. We'll go there in just a second. I need to tell you the most damning part, though. There's this thing in theology called the doctrine of Balaam. It's mentioned a few times in Scripture. In the book of Revelation, the doctrine of Balaam is the doctrine that God said he hated. So let's get a real good understanding class. God hates. I'm going to try this side. God hates the doctrine of Balaam. What is the doctrine of Balaam? Balaam tried to curse these people three times. Couldn't curse them. Had to bless them. And he sat on that mountain until he discovered why. I took your money. King Balak, I don't want to give it back. Since I can't curse them, let me study them and see if maybe there's a way I can convince them to curse themselves. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, the favor of God and the blessing of God is on your life. The devil cannot curse you. A witch, don't care how elevated she is in her satanic practice, a witch cannot curse a Bible-believing, blood-bought Christian. impossible. Can't do it. So the devil can't curse you. People can't curse you. If you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, only person in the world that can curse you Is yourself. 
Balaam said, let me study them. Balaam studied them long enough that he realized that every time, every time the Day of Atonement came around, that they brought those animals for a blood sacrifice. And he noticed that whenever the blood was applied to the mercy seat, the shout of the king, a mighty shout of praise would roar up from the camp because the people were shouting and exclaiming and praising God because of their forgiveness and their salvation. Okay. So he said, I got it. It's the blood. It's the blood sacrifice. The blood is the reason God's not judging their sin. It's the blood. Oh, no blood. No forgiveness. No forgiveness. My curse can stick. So he tells King Balak, he said, go get some of the finest ladies in Moab and send them into the camp. Put them on assignment to form relationships with the men and over time seduce the men in the camp and the leaders of the camp to stop making blood sacrifices. Tell them there's other gods. Tell them there's other ways to heaven. Tell them there's other ideals and religious philosophies. Tell them that they've been sheltered in the wilderness, that they have a primitive worldview, that here we have technology and we've advanced and we have a lot more things and we're more enlightened. Tell them to try another way other than the blood. And all of a sudden, Israel stopped making blood sacrifices. And when they did, the sin that had previously been covered now came in full recompense and judgment upon them. And they suffered greatly. In summary, why does God hate the doctrine of Balaam? Because the doctrine of Balaam is any doctrine, any ideology, any philosophy that would lead you away from your total confidence in the blood. In the Old Testament, it was the blood sacrifice in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, it's confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ that has been applied to your heart by faith that saves your soul and presents you righteous before God. It's, it's of the most precious importance that as believers, we never stray. We ought not go too long throughout the week or throughout the month without remembering and rehearsing and reciting all the blood of Jesus has done for us. Not what we have done. All the blood of Jesus has done for us. The blood of Jesus is working harder than you ever will in your Christian life. The blood of Jesus is doing more for your relationship with the Father than your prayer life ever will. The blood of Jesus is doing more for your relationship with God than your obedience and your keeping the commandments ever will. The blood of Jesus is doing more for your Christianity than any single thing you could ever do added up together in your lifetime. The blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, somewhere in the portals of glory in heaven. It's a real place. 
it's not just a spiritual idea. Heaven's a real place. And somewhere in the portals of heaven, somewhere in the portals of glory, there's wet blood right now still on the mercy seat the blood that jesus shed on earth and then offered in heaven it's never dried out it's never coagulated it's never lost its power and every time you pray before god hears the words that you're saying he considers the blood that you have faith in every time you worship before god receives your praise he considers the blood that you have faith in and i don't care what's been going on in your life you may be a sinner you may be lost you may be a you may have alcohol and drugs still coursing through your veins from last night but if you have confidence in the blood of Jesus if you have faith in the blood of Jesus then in God's eyes spotless pure covered this is the gospel their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more as long as they have faith in the blood of Jesus you can't ever lose it you should never distance yourself from it when you pray you should remember it when you praise you should remember it it's so powerful that if you haven't been praying like you ought to pray, if you've been ignoring God, if you've been too busy to approach his throne the way you know you should, but if you were to decide to go on your way home this afternoon, on your car, if you were to decide to approach heaven, heaven would be happy to hear from you. You know why? Because of the blood on the mercy seat. If you hadn't been living right, if you're a Christian, you believe, but you haven't been living right, you feel the spirit of conviction because God convicts those that belong to him. And you feel God pulling you into a higher level of living and you feel condemned. And because of that, you've been wanting to be distant from the things of God, distant from his house. Maybe you didn't even want to come today, but something just pulled you. Because of the blood... God's not even aware of all the insecurities you have about approaching him. See why I say the blood's doing more for your faith in God, for your Christianity, for your relationship with God, than in your works you will ever do. So he said, um, he said, if you can get them away from their confidence in the blood, well, then we can have our way with them. God allows me to live and have the strength to stand up. I'll never let our church stray from the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, and the word of Jesus. You can't do enough maturing to not need to hear the blood preached. You can't do enough elevating and learning to not hear the blood preached. There's not enough growing that you can do to not need the blood 
to be preached every time you hear the blood of Jesus preached faith is born again in your spirit sins are being washed away I can feel it right now past is being removed and covered he said I am he who blots out your transgression I can't see it anymore I don't care what it is I don't care how long it's been haunting you I don't care what is on you if it's an abortion that's on you if you took people's lives in the war and you've come home and even though your country asked you to do it you're still haunted by the faces of the ones you took if you've been promiscuous and given yourself to so many people and you can't help but see the faces and it haunts you at night if you've been going through hell with anxiety and depression and sometimes you do things detrimental to yourself because you're so numb you just want to feel something it doesn't matter what it is listen to me the blood is so powerful the sacrifice Jesus made on Calvary's cross emptying out his life's blood is so powerful that when God the Creator looks at anybody who has faith in it God said I don't care what the charges are I don't care what you've done I don't care what you got on you I say we have peace and from me to you forgiveness and I ain't done and blessing I came to speak that over your head to speak that over your life peace forgiveness and blessing if you receive it stand to your feet and give the Lord thanks and praise Nothing too dirty That you can't make worthy You wash me in mercy I am clean Everybody lift up your hands Say with me, Jesus I believe you are Who the gospel says you are I believe you lived I believe you died on the third day I believe you rose again I'm a sinner I have committed sin but today I receive peace I receive forgiveness I receive blessing as I confess with faith Jesus Christ is Lord of my life now give God praise all over the house. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Is it that simple? It can't, I hear somebody saying, it can't be that simple. The rest of it is as simple as doing what the doctor told you earlier, renewing your mind to see yourself the way God sees you. But from God's perspective, if you meant in faith what you just confessed out of your mouth, according to the book of Romans chapter 10, that if you confess your mouth with your mouth and believe with your heart, the things concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. 
So receive that salvation. Receive deep in your mind, in your subconscious. I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Come on, let's end it how we started it. I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. When all of the thoughts come bombarding your head, I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. When the memories come to tell you how, how unworthy you are, I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. When those negative people talk down to you and you hang up the phone and their words linger in your ears, I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, it doesn't matter how many people don't accept you as long as the right one does. And if you have faith in the blood of Jesus, the right one has accepted you, loves you, Four tenants of the priestly office in the Old Testament that carry forward to the new. The last tenant is the priest is commanded by God to stand in front of the people of God and speak blessing. Raise up your hands. Hallelujah. I speak blessing over your life in the name of Jesus Christ. By the authority of the Word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I speak blessing over your mind, over your thoughts. I speak blessing over your finances. I speak increase over your life. I speak raises and bonuses, unexpected money, unexpected increase, inheritance that you weren't expecting. I speak it over your life in the name of Jesus. Those of you who have children, I speak blessing over your children and grandchildren. I speak blessing over their lives and their finances. I speak wholeness into your home. I speak wholeness and healthy communication into your home. I speak the removal of fear and anxiety from every bedroom. Get it out of every bedroom of their house, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus over every single person up under the sound of my voice in this room watching online lord from the top of their head to the sole of their feet may they be covered in the blood of jesus christ i speak over your health right now i call you blessed i call your health blessed and prosperous i speak against any disease any attack on your body that would rob you of energy and vitality and health i speak blessing over you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet may the lord your god bless you may the lord your god keep you may he lift up your countenance may he give you peace may the light of the glory in his face shine upon you may you be filled with all the fullness and hope in god may you be blessed in the city and blessed in the field blessed in your uprising blessed in your downsetting may the works of your hands be blessed May your seed that you sow be blessed. May your investments be blessed. May your time management be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.